The intrigue around group B for me isn't high enough. And I say that because although unlike group A, where all four teams are really going to be giving it their all and all have a good chance of qualifying for the next round, this one is a little more straightforward, right? Belgium, uh, Russia, Denmark, and Finland. And in this group, you have one team who is pretty clearly the front runner, one group where one team where I think everyone can agree that they will advance. You have one team that I think most people can agree, barring an Icelandic-esque miracle, will be going home after three games. And two teams that I think it's up to a bit of luck, a bit of quality that will determine which one comes second, one comes third. But at the same time, the intrigue around it is still very exciting. You have a team with so many storylines in Belgium. Could this be their final adventure, their final chance of winning a major international tournament for that country? The likes of Russia and Denmark kind of coming, one coming to the end with one generation, the other just trying to, to continue off that 2018 heroics, and then Finland, their first international tournament in their history. So again, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of intrigue, a lot of storylines around each of these teams and around the group. And that's why I'm really excited about these Euros. I think every team and every game really promises something uh, for both the casual and for the uh, the devout football fan. But without really getting too much into it, we'll get into the video. I just want to introduce myself and the channel. This is Whole Lot of Mid. My name is Lies, the host. And uh, every day this week, you will be seeing a Euros video on uh, a guide to the group. And today, it is the guide to Group B. If you do like the video, uh, make sure you check out yesterday's on Group A of Italy, uh, Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. And if you like that, hey, maybe this is the channel for you. Make sure to stick around, subscribe, like, and drop a comment. But without further ado, Group B. Russia, Belgium, Denmark, and Finland. Again, a lot of storylines, but I think the best place to really start with this one is the team that over the past five, six years have been touted before every tournament as that team those guys the golden generation the red devils and that of course is belgium as the sun begins to set on this golden generation of belgian talent there is a growing agreement very hushed but a growing agreement that this could be the last tournament for a lot of these belgian superstars and Although that there is some truth in that, uh, I think it is a little bit exaggerated. In fact, I think this is really the first tournament that Belgium go into with this group of players where the excitement and the intrigue and the hype around them is not that high. I remember 2014, 2018, 2016, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku, the, first of all, the three Chelsea, former Chelsea players, but a group of players that was really hyped up to do major damage at tournaments. And every time they, they lost out, whether it be to Argentina, whether it be to Wales, whether it be to France in the last World Cup, there was a major sense of disappointment. How has this team failed again? Because they were so hyped up. This tournament, though, they don't really go in as the favorites. In fact, people are talking about France, people are talking about England, people are talking about Portugal, talking about teams like Italy, for example. Belgium have not been hyped up to the extent that they were in previous tournaments. When in fact, they are in fact the number one ranked team according to the FIFA World Rankings. Despite how flawed that ranking system is, it doesn't lie in some aspects. Belgium have been terrific since that World Cup. Roberto Martinez has continued growing this team from strength to strength. And all of this, mostly about his best player and Belgian icon, Eden Hazard. 
who until yesterday against Croatia had not played for Belgium for two years since 2019. And you may ask, well, I mean, you won't ask, but mo most people, when you tell them a player hasn't played for their national team since 2019, was he exiled? Uh, had he retired from the national team? No, Eden Hazard has had so many injuries in the last two seasons uh, that he has effectively been ruled out from playing for his country. And it's so disappointing because in past tournaments, he has been that guy for Belgium. And it's been interesting because in the past, he has really shown, he's really, sh his light has shined the brightest. But it's perhaps been his other international teammates that have kind of failed to live up to the hype and, and failed to meet expectations in late rounds of tournaments. On the flip side, Romelu Lukaku, his last two seasons since making the move from United to Inter Milan have been a dream, a, a breath of fresh air for him. So maligned in England, so constantly criticized for basically being alongside Pogba, the poster boy for United failure. Every time something bad happened, it was on him. He needed that move to Inter Milan more than anyone. Antonio Conte has brought out the true magician outside of Romelu Lukaku and 46 goal contributions en route to the Scudetto. Tells everything you need to know. Serie's MVP, Romelu Lukaku, and he goes into this tournament in the form of his life. So while Eden Hazard is injured, the striker is just flying and any real hopes that Belgium can have of doing damage in this tournament are really on his shoulders and boy are they big shoulders. If the last year is to really go off of, Lukaku has buried those big game demons, he's buried those stereotypes of not having a good touch, not being a good player, just being a brute force of, of athleticism, he's buried all of those extremely deluded uh, criticisms. He has proven that on form, and he is on form, he is one of the best strikers on the planet. And again, Belgium's hopes and aspirations lie on not just him, but also recently crowned PFA Player of the Year, Kevin De Bruyne. Again, a bit of a controversial pick, but there's no doubt on his day, he is the best player in the Premier League. Another player though, who has kind of failed to, to flatter at his very shining best for Belgium international tournaments. It's also because of the position he plays. He clearly is not playing in his most uh, preferred position that he does at City. With Belgium, I feel like it's a bit more of a more reserved eight role, where Hazard was given more of the creative uh, freedom to do really his thing. But De Bruyne, again, with Hazard definitely not being 100% fit, we have to see how he comes back for this tournament. But if he is not at his startling best, it has to be on Lukaku and it has to be on De Bruyne. If Belgium do have a weakness though, it definitely comes from their back three, and it is an aging back three. You have the former Spurs duo of Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen, who are clearly over 30 years old, and they will be uh, partnered with either Dedrick Boyata or Jason Denayer, who will be attempting to fill the massive, massive gap that Belgian icon Vincent Kompany has left in uh, his absence. So really, that back three has a lot of pressure on them because they aren't the quickest, we already know that, and they are often left exposed because of how high and how hard Belgium press. So based on that, that back line gets exposed quite often. And if Belgium are going to be hurt in this competition, it's going to be defensively, 1000%. But you have one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Thibaut Courtois behind them. You have very good protection in front of them in midfield, and you do play that 3-5-2, right? So. Uh, the likes of Castanz, Mounier, whoever is playing those wingbacks will have to provide as much cover as possible for that slow aging back three. Otherwise, if Belgium go out of this tournament, it won't be because of lack of goals scored. It'll be because of that defense, 100%. This ceiling for Belgium is probably non-existent. 
on their day, they can be anyone. Their, their world ranking shows that. Their history shows that. The problem is they're so capable of having a day in the sun against Brazil, like we saw at the last World Cup, where Hazard is just dazzling. Everyone is at their top of their game. Lukaku is uh, creating. De Bruyne is scoring. And then there's games against Wales, where the entire team capitulates. The weight of expectation from a nation, in fact, the entire world collapses on them and they aren't able to fulfill expectations. But like I previously stated, this is probably the least hyped Belgium have gone into a tournament with this group of players, and that very well may play in their favor. If that is the case, they don't have a ceiling. But the way I'm expecting it to go is Belgium and Italy will most likely play each other in the quarterfinals. That's when you're going to see the real side of both of those teams. If Belgium can beat Italy, the sky's the limit for them. If they aren't able to, it's the end of this golden generation as we know it. Much like Switzerland, Denmark are kind of becoming that team that you just know what you're going to get from them. Like the core of players is really established. They've been with each other for a long time. They have tournament experience. They have players that play in the biggest leagues in the world. And yet the good thing about them is that it's still a pretty like, average age side. It's not like all their best players are heading to 35. Like They still have a good group of in their prime or just outside of it players. And just like Switzerland, they're also a team that's really based their entire ethos off being a really resolute, defensively strong team. That was no more pronounced than in the last World Cup, where they only conceded two goals in the group stage, coming out of a group of France as well, holding them to a nil-nil draw. And just in general, Denmark has grown into a team that are really a pest to play against. And that's no surprise when you look at the players at their disposal. The hero of their 1992 uh, adventure, uh, winning the Euros against all the odds, was Peter Schmeichel. And his son, Kasper Schmeichel, we have seen in the last five, six years in the Premier League, isn't too shabby himself, Premier League winner himself. In front of him, you have a Premier League trio that will be competing for a place in the back line in Yannick Vestegaard of Southampton, Andreas Christensen of Chelsea, recently crowned Champions League winner, and uh, Joachim Anderson of Fulham, who had a very impressive debut season in the Premier League. And they will be attempting and fighting for a place next to captain Simon Kier uh, of AC Milan, of course. In front of them, you have a really good uh, selection of Pierre-Emil Hoiberg of Spurs, Thomas Delaney of uh, Dortmund, and of course, Lasse Schoen, formerly of Ajax, I believe now of Genoa. But again, three really defensively resolute, strong defensive midfielders. And then of course, in front of them, the man who everyone knows, one of Europe's finest creators of the last decade, Christian Eriksen, who will be attempting to provide the bullets uh, for Denmark's attack, which we'll get into, but has failed a little to live up to the dazzling defense behind it. However, if Denmark really wants to summon the spirits of 1992, commit anything close to how big a miracle that was, they're going to need help from their best player, again, recently crowned uh, Syria champion Christian Eriksen, uh, a guy who, again, we've known for the last decade has been one of Europe's best number 10s. We saw it at Ajax, we saw it at Spurs, uh, constantly a, a playmaking demon in behind the likes of Harry Kane and Deli Ali and Youngman Son. He is the guy who provides the bullets for the guys to score the goals. Uh, the last two years were a bit on and off for Eriksen, right? He, he got his big move to Inter Milan after honestly a bit of a floundering season at Spurs at the end. The first year at Inter Milan was an absolute disaster. He clearly got off on the wrong foot with Antonio Conte, uh, was benched almost from the start, and he really had to work very hard to 
earn himself back into Conte's good books. But once he did that, he firmly established himself in the 11 and really became a key figure in Inter Milan's Serie A success. The last two managers before Denmark as well have really gotten the best out of Ericsson. I believe the second last manager they had, Ericsson was scoring in 50% of their games. And again, for a team so defensively predicated, you have all these big names in the back, in midfield. Denmark's issue is scoring goals. And although their forwards aren't the most brilliant, the most eye-catching, when you have a guy like Christian Eriksen in behind them, supplying these bullets, supplying these assists, it almost becomes a question of how, how bad of a finisher are you if you can't finish these. He is that expertly precise with his delivery from both set pieces from wide from deep from through the middle a terrific player and again denmark's hopes and expectations all really lie on him as they do almost every single game they play but like i've said kind of hinted at a few times their biggest weakness is undoubtedly their attackers you look at martin braithwaite of barcelona as strange as that is to say he is at barcelona yusuf Poulsen of rb leipzig uh, Dolborg, I believe, Nice at the moment. These are guys who have had pretty decent success in their club careers. I wouldn't say like outstanding success. Dolborg, of course, probably best known for his spell at Ajax when he led that team to the Europa League final. But for Denmark, in that red and white kit, none of them have flattered to deceive. They have all been pretty... I don't know if flattered to deceive is the right word. We'll keep that in there. They have all been pretty poor in a Denmark kit. And this is a problem because this is a team that has had some some great strikers. I mean, Thomasen was just playing for them a decade ago. So to not have a recognized number nine of international pedigree is a bit concerning. And it kind of brings me back to Italy, who they have strikers who have decent enough club repertoire. But at the international stage, they don't do it. And when you look at the best international teams, Germany, for example, a decade of Miroslav Klose, who for club level was a pretty average striker, bar a few seasons here or there. For all accounts and purposes, he was a pretty bang average club striker, but for his national team, he lifted himself to a level of superstar. I mean, we know the story, top scorer in World Cup history. And he's not the only one to do it, but for Denmark, they need production from one of those guys. Otherwise, the amount of great defense they play, the great creation from Ericsson, it will all mean nothing if they can't score goals. That was what hurt them last World Cup, I believe, against Croatia. They ended up going to penalties. And that's what's going to hurt them again, because while Belgium are the front runners and while Finland are probably the boys, the group's whipping boys, them and uh, Russia will be competing head-to-head -head for that second-place spot. If they aren't able to score goals, it may just go in Russia's direction. However, my verdict for this team is I do believe they will come second in the group. I think they have enough star power in that team, enough big names to kind of carry them through, especially against Russia, which will probably end up being a group decider. And from there, they will go into the round of 16 and most likely play Turkey or Switzerland. That's a, a game that you have to say Denmark will consider themselves competitive in. Will they be able to beat Russia or uh, will they be able to beat Switzerland or Turkey? I think they will 1000% believe they will. Can they? That's really up to Braithwaite, Yusuf Poulsen, and Dolberg. Russia and their fans will be hoping uh, to repeat the heroics of two years ago at the World Cup, but boy, are they up against it. And in fact, it kind of sums up Russia's history as a footballing nation since the complete destruction and separation of the Soviet Union in 1991. Russia's footballing success has been pretty lackluster for a nation that big. Uh, 
barring their 2008 heroics making it to the semifinal off the backs of Andrzej Shavin and a great defense constructed by Gus Hiddink. And the 2018 World Cup, where at home they managed to beat Spain and make it to the quarterfinals, only losing to eventual finalist Croatia in the process. The history of Russian football is very bleak and not the nicest to look at. However, with this generation of players they have, I think they finally have a group that A, knows what it means to play for their country, are very proud of doing so, and it shows in the way they play. The performances in Russia two years ago, albeit maybe a little more inflated because they had their home support, was astounding. They had great performances in Russia and really announced themselves to the world stage that they are back and ready to be reckoned with as one of Europe's bigger teams. Russia will be helped as well by the fact that they play two of their three home games at in St. Petersburg. And that's a point I actually failed to make with Denmark. Denmark plays all three of their games in Copenhagen. They are one of the teams lucky enough to have home field advantage for all three games. And Russia are one of those teams lucky enough to have it for two games playing in St. Petersburg. So that is a problem for the likes of Belgium and uh, Finland. But for Russia, they will have that home support. Again, that did them so well two years ago. And they're going to need it because... Although this is a good team, they are up against it. These are great teams that they're playing against in Belgium, uh, Denmark, and to be honest, still, they're quite proud, and they're going to be a fiery team to play against in Finland. But Russia has firepower, though. They don't have maybe the big star names like Andrzej Shavin of, of yesteryear, but they still have good players. The formerly mentioned uh, Sheryshev and Mario Fernandez, both Spanish and Brazilian-born, have shown last World Cup that going down the wings, they are a threat to be reckoned with. Uh, up front, Artem Zuba is one of the most unique profiles in the Euros this tournament. Uh, standing at six foot six, he provides you so many options up front. He can be a hold-up guy. He can be a guy, an aerial threat. He can bully defenders on, on the ground. Like he is a very unique profile to have that most teams cannot call upon. But the key player for Russia, just like it was two years ago, is Alexander Golovin. A guy who kind of had his James Rodriguez moment, maybe not to that extent, but announced himself to the world stage as a potential superstar based on his heroics with Russia last World Cup, earning himself a move to AS Monaco. And although the first year for Monaco was hit or miss, more so than miss, the arrival of Niko Kovac, former Bayern Munich uh, coach, kind of brought the best out of Golovin again. He had a fantastic creative season for Monaco, uh, helping them to third place in the league where they were in a title race almost until the last day. And he has kind of established himself again as one of Europe's most underrated creators. And again, the burden of responsibility will be on Golovin entering this tournament. They are again, not a team blessed with big names, big players. And that's true to an extent in terms of creativity. They don't have like that flair player outside of Golovin to really make things happen. So. Just like former number 10s for Russia of yesteryear, Andrzej Shavin, uh, Alan Zagoev, the number 10 for Russia this time will bear the brunt of responsibility and success and failure is basically on his shoulders. If he creates at the extent and the level and the rate that he did two years ago, Russia can expect to get out of this group. They are an organized and resolute enough team. But if he isn't able to, I really wonder where the goals come from. And this could end up being a group that's settled between Christian Eriksen and Alexander Golovin. Which number 10 will have more productivity? Which one will shine brightest at the biggest stage in Europe? The weakness, though, for me, uh, is in goal. And it's weird for a nation. I mean, I guess if you want to count Lev Yashin for the Soviet Union, 
but Igor Akinfeyev wore the Russia number one kit for so many years and shined in it for so many years. But the legendary goalkeepers, of course, retired from international football, and now the mantle of goalkeeper for Russia is free. Uh, the responsibility might lie on Anton Shunin, a Dynamo Moscow keeper, but there already has been a bit of criticism on him. Is he a modern day goalkeeper? Can he play out the back of his feet? A lot of people have doubts on that, but he will have to summon the the spirit of Igor Akinfeyev and, of course, Lev Yashin of yesteryear, because in front of him, the defense is a bit suspect as well. You, of course, do not have the Ignasevich brothers, the Berezovsky brothers in front of him, but, uh, sorry, Ignasevich and the Berezovsky brothers in front of him who were Russian defenders for years, almost a decade. Instead, you have a relatively inexperienced and unproven back line that again is a bit like belgium are left exposed quite often based on how much fernandez and cherry ship burst down the wings so that defense and that goalkeeper could be what lets down russia because although they are organized as a unit in the back they don't have big names they don't have van dykes and ramoses like they are going to have to be amazing as a, as a unit. And if that unit breaks up, as we saw a few times in 2020, where they lost, I believe, half of their games, they lost almost six games on the trot, Russia could be in trouble. My verdict for them is that they go to the round of 16, where they meet Spain again, two tournaments in a row. I don't think they have as much success against Luis Enrique's Spanish outfit. I believe they lose in the round of 16. Forever heralded as... Nordic countries, baby brother in football, most notably Sweden, uh, Norway, uh, Denmark. <laughs> for a country of only 5 million people to qualify for their first ever international tournament is, is remarkable. And Finland deserve all the plaudits and all of the, I don't know, if you want a second team to, to kind of cheer for, Finland deserve it. And for a country that were able to produce a player like Yari Lippmann, for this to be their first ever tournament is absolutely bewildering. And it just kind of paints the picture of how much of a great story and how much indeed of a miracle this really is. Uh, Finland were a country for years. And I mean, the fact that this is their first competition ever shows you for years that weren't able to even uh, contend for qualification places. For years, their only player of note was UC Askelainen, the goalkeeper for Bolton, most notably. But now they finally have a group of players that a lot of them, or a lot of them for their standards play in big European leagues. And they were able to show that quality and that fight and that desire to, to make that country proud this year in qualification because their group that they qualified for was not easy. Uh, coming out of a group of Italy, who we already heralded as the dark horse of this tournament, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, a team that have qualified for uh, World Cup 2014. They showed they're a defensively resolute team, star players like Edin Zeko up front. And uh, Greece, 2004 champions, again, a team that's played in a lot of competitions. That is not an easy group to qualify for. And they came second in that group and pretty convincingly as well. Although they lost two times to Italy, they, they, they proved to the world that they are absolutely deserving of where they are. And none more so than when they played France in an international friendly, I believe it was a friendly or a Nations League game. And they beat France in, uh, in Paris. So this team has fight, they have resolute uh, optimism that they can make things happen, and they actually have some star quality in there, most notably Timo Puki, the Norwich uh, City center forward, who was lights out in qualification, scoring four goals in two games at one point to really push that, that Euro drive for Finland. And we're going to go into more of him because he really is the key player, but all of uh, Finland's hopes and aspirations lie on Timo Puki. Uh, Timo Puki. If he isn't able to get it done, this could be a very short adventure for uh, Finland. 
Timupuki wears the illustrious number 10 for his jersey, but of course there are other players in that team, most notably uh, Kamara of Rangers, recently crowned the Scottish champion, Lukas Radecki, one of the Bundesliga's best goalkeepers in the last few seasons, with Bayer Leverkusen respectively. But that team has kind of shown that they're not just the three individual players, they are a great sum. The, 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 the sum of their parts is the whole, and <laughs> no pun intended. Like They are a great group of players that have clearly shown that they deserve to be where they at, and they fight every single game. My one question about them, is there enough goals in this team, and is there enough quality in this team? Because it's great being a good unit, but when you're up against teams like Denmark, Belgium, and Russia, who are great units with amazing players, the odds are certainly stacked against you. And for me, the biggest concern is what happens if the the service to Timo Puki dries up, and we've seen it uh, in the Premier League. He's had scoreless runs, and this uh, Finland team will be a team that gets pushed back up against everything. They are going to be sitting back most games, and that's going to leave players like Timo Puki extremely isolated uh, up front on his own. If Timo Puki can replicate the form that A got Norwich promoted twice and that led Finland to qualification. There will be a uh, <laughs> a pookie party for sure, but if that 13-game scoreless drought that he suffered in the Premier League continues, uh, it could be <laughs> the party in, in Helsinki could be finished. No pun intended. But uh, personally, I believe Finland's story ends in the group stage, and I do believe that this could be a bit of a reality shock for the Finnish. And uh, I would honestly expect them to lose all three games. I believe that they will be the group's whipping boys, and I believe that it'll be a free three points, barring a miracle for Russia, Denmark, and Belgium. So to kind of wrap that up, my th uh, predictions for the group go in first, Belgium. I think they are by far and away the best team in this group, and I think they're going to shock, not shock, but wake people up again and remind them why they have always been a huge contender in these tournaments since this generation was formed and i think this group will be a breeze for belgium i think it'll be mostly used as a chance to get eden hazard back to full fitness back to match sharpness in second place i have denmark i think although russia are a very impressive outfit i think denmark's star quality and the big names they do possess and the experience of a bit more experience than russia will ultimately lead into second i think they'll both pick up points against Finland both lose to Belgium, and it could be that that game against both of them, Bel uh, Denmark versus Russia, is really what settles who comes second and who comes third. So in second, I got Denmark. In third, I have Russia, which may, I think, I think they'll still qualify due to the fact that they'll pick up points against Finland. And in final, uh, fourth, I will have Finland. The adventure will end here for the finish, but hey, you still have to give them major plaudits for how they finished it. Let me know what you guys think of my rankings for Group B. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If so, let me know in the comment section below. Comment your group ratings and let me know what you guys think of my analysis. And if you did enjoy the video, make sure you share the video, smash the like button, uh, sh uh, drop a comment again, like I said, and make sure to subscribe. Keep subscribing. Let's grow the family out. Uh, the support on the last video was great. If you missed it, Guide to Group A is on my channel posted yesterday tomorrow we'll have group c after that group d we're gonna cover everything for this euros i'm super excited to do it and i hope you guys are too but as always this has been our episode a whole lot of mid see you when we see you